Welcome back to Round 12, the podcast that will always be dedicated to growth, development, and motivational mastery. I am your host, Sensei Roger B. Hamilton. Thank you for joining us again today for another episode of the Round 12 podcast series. Let's go get it. Understand the underdog. Overstand his passion. She was walking in the street, looked up and noticed he was nameless. He was homeless. She asked him his name and told him what hers was. He gave her a story about life with a glint in his eye and a corner of a smile. One conversation, a simple moment, the things that change us. If we notice when we look up, sometimes they said I would never make it, but I was built to break the mold. The only dream that I've been chasing is my own. I sing a song for the hustlers trading at the bus stop Single mothers waiting on a check to come Young teachers, student doctors Sons on the front line knowing they don't get to run This goes up to the underdog Keep on keeping at what you love And you'll find that someday, soon enough You will rise up, rise up, yeah Back to the kitchen Talking to the driver about his wife and his children On a run from a country where they put you in prison For being a woman and speaking your mind And she looked in his eyes in the mirror and he smiled One conversation, a single moment The things that change us If we notice when we look up sometimes They said I would never make it But I was built to break the mold The only dream that I've been chasing is my own I sing a song for the hustlers trading at the bus stop Single mothers waiting on a check to come Young teachers, student doctors Sons on the front line knowing they don't get to run Let's go up to the underdog Keep on keeping at what you love And you'll find that someday soon enough You will rise up, rise up, yeah In 1986, 
The Nobel Peace Prize was awarded to author Eli Weissel. The Nobel Committee reasoned that this recipient was a messenger to mankind. His message is one of peace, atonement, and human dignity. His belief that the forces fighting evil in the world can be victorious is a hard-won belief. During his acceptance speech, Mr. Weissel made a statement that since I heard it has always stayed with me. He said that hope is the memory of the future. Think about that. In essence, the memory of the future is knowing that something is coming, something that is better than anything we've seen before, and it will be good. This brings us to the concept and reality of the underdog. The one who starts out as the lowest of the low, yet somehow, some way, rises to his or her challenges to do more, to go farther, and in many cases, to win. It might interest you to know that underdogs are doing increasingly well in the world. In some of the strangest places and in some of the most profound ways, underdogs prevail. Generally speaking, individuals or groups who are at the disadvantage, whether measured in the form of lack of resources or allies, are many times able to prevail against overwhelming adversaries. When we think of movies and books and memorable autobiographies, the underdog story is one of the most classic storylines with a universal appeal reliably driving feelings of empathy every time. They tap into the qualities we like best about ourselves and find most admirable in others. We love underdog stories because we feel like they need us. It creates that gravitational bond between us and the underdog because we love to feel needed as social creatures. Studies have shown that the literal act of witnessing an underdog story gives us hope. If we walk out of the cinema after watching classic underdog tales like Rocky, Karate Kid, or The Pursuit of Happiness, the impact of experiencing the protagonist's ascendance fills us with a newfound sense of hope. And this isn't a fleeting feeling either. We carry this feeling with us several days after it's over. The underdog story is also deeply rooted in the American dream economically or socially moving up in the world is paramount in the context of American culture. It's not just where you wind up, but how far you've climbed to get there that matters most. Black people climbing up from the dire forces of slavery is one of the most profound examples. And the beauty about the underdog story is that its overall success will always be judged relative to the starting point. In short, there are no rags to riches story if it doesn't start in the rags. Similarly, when there's an underdog, there must always be a top dog. Think about how this plays out in so many ways and so many industries and in so many circumstances. And there is one profound takeaway here. And it's not the brute power doesn't matter. 
The desire for more power, physical, financial, military, etc. exists quite simply because, well, power really is useful. The victors understood this during all manner of war when they reminded the defeated that the strong do what they can and the weak suffer what they must. Throughout the animal kingdom, as well as in our own species, formidably this translates rather directly into a greater probability of victory in contest between individuals and groups when one is stronger. Unsurprisingly, individuals with more power have a greater sense of entitlement and are angrier when they don't get their way. In chimpanzees, the best predictor of both the likelihood of conflict and its outcome is relative size. Quite simply, crude and conventional indicators of power matter very much and probably always will because they are useful. We must accept the two realities. On the one hand, power matters because it is a timeless and reliable instrument that largely shapes contest outcomes. On the other hand, the weak have a rather stubborn tendency to triumph despite the odds against them. So what determines whether power prevails or weakness overcomes? I don't know. Malcolm Gladwell tries to address just this question in his book David and Goliath. Although Gladwell offers many compelling factors that he believes explain the strength of the weak and the weakness of the strong, there is a common denominator that really stands out, yet surprisingly receives not a mention in the book. That is what behavioral scientists call theory of mind. Theory of mind is the ability to attribute mental states such as beliefs, intents, desires, emotions, and knowledge, among others, to oneself and to others. Theory of mind is necessary to understanding that others have beliefs, desires, intentions, and perspectives that are different from one's own. Individuals with damage to parts of the brain known to be responsible for this capacity exhibit an inability to understand the effects of their behavior on others and struggle with perspective taking. How does this relate to our puzzle? Well, underdogs win not because they are smarter than their adversary, but because they understand their adversary better than their stronger adversary understands them. David and Goliath spends most of its pages describing the conditions that bring about uncommon endurance and grit among the weak and disadvantaged. These factors have been listed, shown, and discussed in many environments at length. We all know the stories of uncommon resolve, adaptability, creativity, and experience with great loss or pain. We've heard seen, and lived these stories, as well as the basic realization that underdogs often fight for their life, while the privileged typically have less at stake. Scientists who study evolution and biology have named this the life-dinner principle that occurs between predator and prey. Put simply, Rabbits run faster than foxes for the simple reason that they are running for their lives while the fox is only concerned about its dinner.
However, the David and Goliath book spends relatively less time explaining why the powerful are so often thrown off balance and blindsided by the tenacious. This leads to a new puzzle. Why is it so hard for the powerful to learn this lesson and stop getting thrown off? Is there something about being powerful that makes you irrevocably spoiled and blind? Putting aside things like ideology and principle for the moment, if all I care about is winning, then being the underdog really doesn't seem all that attractive. Who would want that position? Gladwell makes the point repeatedly in his book that although all of the subjects he interviewed understood that adversity made them stronger, almost none would wish that adversity on others. That's a curious paradox, isn't it? Yet the paradox fades if we recognize that underdogs can win, but often don't. Power remains the winning bet. All of this suggests that there is a perpetual tug of war between the powerful and the weak, the cards stacked always in favor of the strong. The distinct problem worth reviewing is that being powerful is often such a good bet that it actually does not seem to pay dividends to invest in a little strategic empathy. Caring about others is very costly to them, if you think about it. It is the mismanagement of this position by the powerful that leaves open a small but dramatic window for those who possess just the right blend of fire, cunning, and commitment to bring down their Goliath. So why don't the powerful learn? The answer is that most of the time, they don't have to. So to those of us who have put in the work, and who care about the result, and are willing to fight for what we believe in, and receive what we have earned through trial and effort and commitment and desire and strength, then let's go get it. Thank you for joining us again today for another episode of Round 12. May you live as long as you want and never want as long as you live. May the worst days of your future be like the best days of your past. And may you continue to answer life's bell every time. Until we meet again, time!